Among the latest infections, 73 were imported. Health officials also reported 90 cases from 81 schools. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Friday the 10th of June. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Radio 3 for the final time this week. The European Central Bank has said it will raise interest rates next month for the first time in 11 years. At its governing council meeting on Thursday, it confirmed that its key deposit rate will rise 25 basis points from a record low of minus half a percent, with further increases planned for later in the year. It's added that if the inflation outlook persists or deteriorates, larger increments will be appropriate at the September meeting. The ECB also intends to end its bond-buying stimulus program on the 1st of July. China's trade rebounded more than expected in May. China's exports in U.S. dollar terms rose 16.9% year-on-year from the previous month's 3.9% gain. Imports grew 4.1% year-on-year compared to no growth in April. The trade surplus was 82% larger than the same period a year ago, and China's trade surplus with the US widened by 13.5% from a year earlier. Fears are mounting that tighter COVID restrictions may be returning to Shanghai after the city said it will lock down the Minhan district of 2.65 million people on Saturday morning. The lockdown could be extended for another two weeks if any infections are found. On Thursday, President Xi Jinping called on his government to adhere unwavingly to its COVID-0 policy. However, he also urged all regions and departments to be resolute in overcoming economic difficulties and strive to maintain social stability. Hong Kong health officials reported 674 coronavirus infections, the highest since April the 17th. Chief Executive Carrie Lam conceded for the first time that there was no chance of soon reopening the border with the mainland. She said Hong Kong was caught in the middle of differing COVID-19 theories and measures held by China and other jurisdictions. And on today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management and Lashar from BBVA with a view from India is Toby Lawson of Societe Generale India. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, U.S. stocks fell sharply ahead of crucial consumer price inflation data tomorrow that could determine how aggressive the Fed will need to be with future rate hikes. Losses accelerated in the final hour of trading, leaving the S&P 500 2.4% lower at 4,018. The Dow lost 638 points, or 1.9%, ending at 32,273. The Nasdaq Composite Index retreated 2.8% to finish at 11,754. Chinese tech stocks reversed recent gains, weighing on the Nasdaq Golden Dragon China Index, which tumbled 6.8%. Indodo slumped 9.6% in the US. ADRs of Alibaba slumped 8.1% after China's securities regulator denied reports that it had started early-stage talks on reviving the IPO of Jack Ma's Ant Group. 
European stocks dropped after the ECB left the door open to a larger-than-expected 50 basis point interest rate rise in September. The pan-European stock 600 index tumbled 1.4%, while Germany's DAX index dropped 1.7%, and Italy's FTSE MIB index sank 1.9%. The UK's FTSE 100 closed 1.5% lower. Chinese stocks fell yesterday as investors were rattled by reports of renewed lockdowns in Shanghai. The Hang Seng Index dropped 146 points or 0.7% to 21,869. The Hang Seng, Te- Hang Seng Tech Index fell 1.4%, taking its losses for the year to date to over 16%. And the Shanghai Composite, that lost 0.8% to 3,239. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is down 0.4% at $122.89 a barrel, having advanced nearly 6%, so 60% so far this year. Gold's down a third of a percent at $1,847 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose two basis points to 3.05%, and yields on German, Italian, Spanish and Greek government bonds surged as the ECB signaled the end of ultra-supportive monetary policies, Germany's 10-year Bund yield that rose 9 basis points to 1.44%, a new 8-year high. Italy's equivalent debt yield surged by 26 basis points to 3.73%, triple its level at the start of the year. And the spread between German and Italian sovereign debt of 2.29% is the most since the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic. The US dollar index jumped 0.7% higher to its highest since May the 23rd. The Japanese yen is heading towards a 24-year low against the dollar. The yen stands at 134.45 against the US currency, bringing it closer to the 135.15 level it reached during Japan's 2002 banking crisis and approaching the lows of more than 145 yen, which was seen in 1998 during the Asian financial crisis. The euro, that fell 0.9% to $1.06, its lowest level since May the 22nd. Sterling is trading at $1.25 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 81 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.7 versus the dollar in offshore markets and Bitcoin is down 1% at 30,100. We take a look around how Asia-Pacific stock markets are opening this morning. In Australia, the SX200 is off two-thirds of a percent. The Nikkei 225 has declined 1% in Japan at the open. The Cosby in South Korea also off 1% and futures markets pointing to losses of around 340 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Times 8.10. Let's join our guests. Still locked safely away somewhere in Europe is Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. Morning, Andrew. Where are you this morning? Safely is always a relative term. You know, I I got a nice, God, strong uh, COVID in in Austria. I'm in Athens right now. Oh, you're in Athens. Okay, so you're slowly heading back towards us. Well, that's a general idea, I think. Okay, we shall be, we shall be where? Over in our Queensway studio, we have Andrew Ferry. Uh, we have Lashar, who's Asia Chief Economist at BBVA Research. Morning, Lashar. Morning, Peter. Morning, Andrew. Uh, let's start morning, with morning. 
Let's start with these central banks. As you've heard there uh, yesterday, the European Central Bank said it's going to raise interest rates next month for the first time in 11 years. It confirmed that its key deposit rate will rise 25 basis points from its low of minus half a percent. And if inflation persists, it could raise it by 50 basis points in September. We've also seen a 50 basis point rate high from the Reserve Bank of India and one from the Reserve Bank of Australia earlier this week as well. So that means now, uh, until the end of May, monetary authorities around the world have announced more than 60 rate rises and at least 50 of them are by 50 basis points or more. Andrew, I have to say I, I, I've been chuckling to myself this morning because all the reports are talking about how the ECB is, is moving away from ultra-easy monetary policies. Um, yet all we're going to see is uh, its interest rate at zero by September. It's still pretty ultra-easy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, this is what also makes me also chuckle because all this was said and Japan, of course, said we're going to keep interest rates down to zero forever. And, of course, China has actually cut interest rates. So, Peter, you know, it's not a matter of catching straws because, yes, interest rates are increasing. Of the four biggest economies, the United States is increasing. It said and will carry on increasing sharply. The European Central Bank said, yes, we're going to increase. Not a lot, but we have to wait till September. Japan has actually said we are staying at zero and China has cut. So mm. two out of four are actually staying where they are or cutting interest rates. And the other two, well, one is increasing and the other one will increase. But I'm sorry, I don't get these as headlines that across the universe, interest rates are going up. Uh, they are going up in the States, 100%. Okay, but it's become too Eurocentric for my taste. And again, I'm not clasping straws in the wind. I'm simply saying that is the facts. Mm. This is not an opinion. Shark, what do you think? We've had 60 rate rises now uh, this, uh, this year, uh, a lot of them by 50 basis points. But nevertheless, it is true, isn't it, that uh, central, I mean, if you take the ECB, uh, inflation in the ECB, according to Eurostat, is going to be 7.4% in April. And all they're talking about is taking rates to zero. Yes, I think uh, to some degree I agree with uh, Andrew because uh, not all the major central banks uh, they are uh, increase their interest rate. But at the same time, we have noticed that uh, many of the other central banks, uh, not only for these uh, advanced uh, countries, but also for many emerging markets, they have to follow these uh, advanced countries' central bank interest rate hikes. And uh, uh, for ECB, I think they have no choice because uh, uh, their target is to to maintain this inflation at uh, a decent level. But unfortunately, now they already exceed 7%. If, if you look at this coal inflation, a little bit better in Europe than in the United States, but it's still very high. I think they have no choice but to uh, increase the interest rate. But it will be big news, or I think there's a new development for, for many years because they have keep this negative interest rate there for more than 10 years, I think. Mm -hmm. So that's why um, I, I think this kind of move will cause a lot of uh, movement in the market. And if yeah. they don't, if central banks don't raise interest rates, their currency collapses as we're seeing in Japan. Yeah, yeah. If you look at uh, Japanese yen and look at the performance of uh, uh, Chinese uh, RMB uh, uh, two weeks ago, right? Mm. Now, recently, they have some rebound because of this uh, lockdown policy has been eased a little bit, but we don't know what's going to happen on this part. But anyway, I think for the... Uh, countries, they didn't uh, follow this uh, interest hike wave, their currencies will under uh, depression uh, pressure now. 
Andrew, where does Hong Kong fit into this? Clearly our currency can't collapse because of the peg, but nevertheless, the Fed... It's probably it's already raised rates 50 basis points in its last meeting. It's probably going to do the same again next week and also in July and maybe in September as well. Uh, where does this leave the Hong Kong economy? Well, strangely enough, actually, Hong Kong interest rates haven't increased anywhere near as much as American interest rates have. In other words, if I'm looking at simply very simple stuff, plain vanilla stuff, uh, two weeks, one month, two months, three months, Deposits, just deposits, okay, the differences between American and Hong Kong interest rate is as much as 100 basis points. That was Hong Kong is cheaper. Now, I'm not, again, saying that uh, Hong Kong is going to uh, avoid this because interest rates have increased. But it is not true, actually, that Hong Kong is in lockstep whenever it comes to interest rates and uh, the actual market situation. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority will increase its, uh, its basic rates by the same amount that the Fed does, but the markets don't. Okay, that's another beauty of the flexibility, sort of flexibility of the Hong Kong uh, uh, peg system, because it's not a lockstep. It depends very much on interest rates differentials. And if the markets are happy with where the Hong Kong dollar is, interest rates won't go up. Mm. They will go up, but I'm not saying they're going to go up as much as the American interest rates so far. And the economy? What's, what's going to happen to the economy? Uh, the economy, the economy is unfortunately, is completely, <laughs> to, to misuse the word pegged, is, is of course in this perverse uh, uh, policy. Poor Lam on her way out, and I'm saying that sparingly about poor Lam, is says we're in the middle between a rock and a hard place. Uh, we, we don't follow really a net zero policy, but actually we do, sort of. And in fact, it says that the border between China and Hong Kong is not going to open up anytime soon. And that means the tourism uh, that will be nearly 75% Chinese tourists is not going to reappear again. Mm. Bad news for the retail section, bad news for hotels. Um, Shark, tell me about China. We've got you know, uh, the United States, for example, battling its highest inflation rate in about four decades. There's a food crisis around the world because food, crisis, uh, food prices are soaring. But yet China's CPI... Uh, it rose 2.1% in April. We'll get the latest data for May this morning. Food prices uh, in China are increasing only about 2% from a year ago. How is China avoiding this problem that's facing a lot of the other major economies in the world? Uh, personally, I don't think that's a good thing for China. <laughs> if you, other countries today are inflation are on the rise, but now your inflation is very low, I think that that shows your domestic demand have some problem. So as an, mm. now, because of China to implement this uh, zero COVID uh, uh, policy, uh, even in the cities, uh, uh, they don't need to have this kind of the lockdown so people are free because mm. uh, they don't want to travel. If you go to other cities, maybe you will be quarantined forcefully for, for several weeks. So that uh, makes the domestic demand very weak for the moment. That's mm. why I think the generally China, of course, the food price is another story. Maybe they were in uh, affected by this uh, pork price. Uh, but the generally, if you look at the Chinese uh, CPI, I like to say it reflects the weak domestic demand in China. And this one related to this uh, COVID uh, zero, uh, zero COVID policy, unfortunately. And actually, Peter, I would agree with my colleague here, uh, because the, the Chinese CPI, we have the components, but actually we don't have the weights of the components. They have never been released. Uh, Bloomberg mm. had made repeated efforts to engineer it backwards. And uh, in general, the structure appears to be not absolutely identical to everybody else's. Uh, we heard about pork prices actually 
which can add uh, something like 35 basis points uh, for very small increases because of the high weight. But then things like wheat uh, in China is not necessarily as, as a big component that is rice. And rice has actually, this is the secret world of rice. You know, it is not easy to get rice prices, and it's not easy to get rice prices for different qualities and quantities. But in general, they haven't been going up. Last time I managed to get some, as much as, for example, corn, that is maize and wheat, have mm. been going up. I might be wrong, but then again, uh, I will blame it uh, on the scarcity of the rice prices. FAO does a nice index, but uh, this is a, a component of a lot of something like four different prices, including strangely called rices, like fragrant rice. Okay, so mm, there you go. Mm. Shark, what... China may not have an inflation problem, but it does have an income problem, doesn't it? Because lots of people now are losing their wages, seeing them shrink or disappear because of all the lockdowns that are going on. And they're being forced to to dip into their savings and struggling to hang on to their savings as well. Yes, I agree with you. Because uh, now if you look at uh, uh, the unemployment rate, uh, even these uh, official announced figures, they have shown some increase. And uh, according to uh, some source, it seems that uh, the, among the young people, this is, uh, unemployment is very high, close to 20%. So it's this, a record high, I think, yes, isn't it? Yes, yeah, exactly. So now I think that many uh, Chinese workers, they are out of uh, jobs because of, uh, of this kind of the lockdowns, because of all these uh, uncertainties uh, with this uh, uh, economic outlook. So that's why uh, now I think that China is in an economic downturn. How they are going to end this one? I, I'm very worried about this one. Yeah, I have to say. Uh-huh. Now, the, the question is, may I interject here? Strangely <laughs> enough, I've actually, I've actually told my clients that China, strangely, is a bullish case because it only needs one single policy to be uh, reversed, uh-huh. and we're off to the races. Guess which one it, that is. Really, <laughs> And that, yeah, this is as, as easy as that. It has nothing to do with inflation. It has nothing to do with supply chain problems. It simply has to do with, a, let's say, epidemiological policy that uh, doesn't appear to be carefully thought out because I have no idea what happens if you are testing as uh, apparently you could be able to test 814 million people at a single go. And yes, and what happens if you find all of them are not infected or all of them are infected? Well... You know, Trump said famously, stop measuring infections, because the more you measure, the more you're going to find. Mm. You know, if you think of it, it was was a perverse way of looking at the problem. But Andrew, your wish isn't going to be granted, because uh, President Xi Jinping said yesterday uh, the government needs to stick unwaveringly, he said, to its zero COVID policy. And we've got reports that COVID restrictions and lockdowns are coming back uh, in Shanghai. So... Uh, it looks like things are going to get worse before they get better. I don't have I don't have an inside. Most definitely, I don't have inside information of what the Communist Party is thinking. Is I'm simply thinking of uh, painting myself in a corner. Is not one of the best policies. Mm. Okay, do you agree with that, Shark? This yeah. is this is the whole economy now hinges on this one policy. Yeah, I think so. I just want to share with Andrew about this news that President Xi Jinping said that they will continue to this zero COVID policy. So that means we cannot see a turnaround, right? Dramatic turnaround in the short time, right? So that means in the next maybe one month or a couple of months, they are likely to to change the track. They are likely to relax this uh, restriction. Of course, uh, at the local government level, maybe they can relax a little bit. 
but now it's at very sensitive uh, moment because the uh, Chinese uh, Communist Party they are going to have their national congress. Uh, every local mm. government head they want to be promoted. They don't want mm. to at the mo- this moment they were accused by the by your boss that you haven't done a good job in containing <laughs> these uh, COVID nineteen things. So that's why. At a local government level, they have a lot of pressure. They have no choice. They have to continue this kind of uh, lockdown or uh, similar uh, the, the, the lock, similar lockdown policies. So that's why I'm worried about. Yeah. Let me ask you very quickly both about the trade data. Then was that a signal maybe that things are improving uh, for for China? It came in better than expected. Uh, imports. Uh, exports, sorry, rose 16.9% in May compared to 3.9% the year before. Imports grew 4.1% compared to no growth in April. Uh, is that a good sign or do you see it as just being a blip? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think this is a very good sign. It, it, the, the, the big environment didn't change at all. I think the only okay. shows that maybe people are trying to find a way to... Uh, to, to run this support, to run this, there are no more productions as before, even with this uh, COVID uh, uh, policy. But uh, we know that uh, if these things continued, maybe your export can continue to uh, to run as, as normal. But unfortunately, what what about your consumption? Yeah. What about your investment? Uh, I, I, I will I will inject here my uh, needle has stuck in place uh, uh, approach, and that is uh, net net export increases, okay, add tiny amounts to China's GDP growth. So in other words, yes, I saw it is very good, but I don't think it's going to make the slightest difference on the GDP side. On average, over a 20-year period, okay, uh, net export rises added about 10 basis points to China's uh, uh, GDP growth. In other words, for every 100 basis points, 10 of those were accounted by trade, and the rest of it was accounted by consumption and investment. So, you know, it's nice, but leaves me nonplussed. Okay, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. That was Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management, Le Shah, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Times 8.25. Let's go over to Mumbai next, where we find, as always on a Friday morning, Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe General India. Morning, Toby. Yeah, good morning, Peter. So we've been talking this morning about central banks raising rates. We've had more than 60 rate rises this week, uh, and more than 50 of them have been by 50 basis points, including India. The RBI has gone and done it as well. It seems to have surprised people, doesn't it? Yeah, well, you, in, in India, the RBI has moved pretty much 90 basis points in five weeks. So uh, repo rate now to 4.9%. Um, so quite significant moves in a relative sense when you look at low rates around the developed world. 50 basis point moves are you know, obviously relatively larger, but uh, even in India, uh, which only a couple of months ago was talking about maintaining an accommodative stance to promote growth, is really starting to turn as well in line with other central banks. The word accommodative has gone out of the the dialogue very much, uh, extinguished uh, pretty much across the world. Now, of course, overnight you saw the uh, ECB uh, also suggesting they're going to start hiking Mm -hmm. in July and September. So, yep, uh, it's a unity ticket uh, for central banks right now. And the reality is once uh, once it starts happening across the globe, it's very difficult for central banks to act independently. 
It's, it's even happening in places like Australia, which in general are beneficiaries, aren't they, of, uh, of the surge in commodity prices, being a net sort of exporter. But it, even they haven't escaped. Yeah, and that was a big move in Australia. I think uh, you've gone from 0.35% on the on the uh, the 0.85, so you know a very significant move. I think it was the first 50 basis point move in 22 years in Australia, um, and it really just reflects a couple of things: a structural um, demand increase coming as a result of uh, quantitative uh, policies, you know, a lot of liquidity in the system, uh, pent up demand post pandemic. And then, of course, on the supply side, restrictions due to, to various constraints, underinvestment in commodities in, in a more broader cycle. And then you've got the, the impacts of COVID uh, flow through and also now the war in Ukraine. So you're almost a perfect storm, to mm. be fair, but um, and difficult to manage. But despite all these rate hikes, are the central banks doing enough? I mean, take the ECB. Uh, they're, they're talking about moving away from their ultra-loose monetary policy. Their idea of moving away from an ultra-loose monetary policy is going up to zero. It doesn't seem to be particularly aggressive, does it? No, it doesn't. And the reality is uh, interest rate hikes are really about curbing demand. And they're not going to solve fuel prices and mm. uh, food prices in the short term, which are one of the two of the main drivers, uh, I guess, particularly here in India. Um, and interest rate hikes really are about cooling demand, and uh, demand is you know still pent up. And so, at some point, um, even if central banks are trying to maintain this balance between uh, trying to keep growth going and trying to curb inflation, the reality is the only way to curb inflation is to cool demand, at least in the short term. And that's going to only be done by a heavy blunt instrument, which is monetary policy. Um, the fiscal side of the equation, governments can reduce spending to cool demand, but that's much more politically sensitive, as you can imagine, around the world. So it's really going to be up to the central banks to, to really hammer inflation in the short term, and that's going to have an impact on growth. It's going to take time, though, isn't it? The, the, the central banks, whatever they do, can't bring down inflation in just a short period of time. This is going to go on for a while, isn't it? And we're going to see you know, this surge in food prices that's affecting countries like India pretty badly. It's not going to be eased any time soon, by the sounds of it. No, I think uh, you're spot on, Pete. I think it's a lot. It's it's, it's going to be painful. It's going to, and uh, as I said, the uh, monetary policy is a blunt blunt instrument, and so it will cause pain because uh, interest rates feed straight through to the direct economy, and uh, it's really about pulling demand. So people are going to fill it in their pocket, uh, and the impact is to reduce spending, reduce demand, aggregate demand in the economy to then curb off prices, mm. and. Um, as you know, with inflation, inflation is much perceptive as it is reality. Once prices start to move, perception of prices moving actually creates prices moving. And this is the cycle we're in right now. And uh, central banks are behind the curve and have been for probably uh, six to 12 months. And uh, they're chasing hard now to catch up. And the central banks then are therefore treading a very fine line, aren't they? They want to call demand. Can they do it without tipping the economies into recession? Well, that's the, that's the ultimate challenge, isn't it? Uh, and one, um, many, many levels of complexity. Um, watch yield curves and the, uh, the flattening of the yield curves is probably a good indicator. We saw it in the US initially. It uh, hasn't quite flattened back out to two-year, ten-year. Uh, but if that persistently moves, then that's going to predicate a historically recession sort of 18 months forward. Um, I suspect that if they have to move even more aggressively, then those predictions of, of recession could come 
uh, into 2023 rather than calculations towards early 2024. So, yeah, we're watching closely because essentially what we're going to be seeing is growth being hammered or at least being being uh, stalled by these interest rate hikes. And what does it mean for financial assets like stocks and bonds? We're seeing them wobble quite a lot at the moment, aren't we? A lot of volatility there. If these interest rates increase, it's hard to see how they can make any headway in this type of environment because, you know, investors have been used to, since the financial crisis, uh, pretty well zero interest rates. They almost haven't had to think about where they put their money anywhere would do. Yeah, and, and if you look at earnings yield, it's a function of the, uh, of, of the bond rate. And so bond rates go up, uh, earnings yields uh, get impacted, prices, asset prices get reflected accordingly. So if you combine uh, that factor plus uh, a lower growth profile going forward, hard to see asset prices on the uh, uh, not being challenged quite aggressively, particularly in the equity market. So we've seen that uh, S&P is down 16%, I think, year to date. Um, might retest that 20% low. So, yeah, really tough conditions. And I think I said it to you a few weeks ago, this is a market for the brokers, not for the investors. Um, and uh, it's going to be a pretty challenging period coming up. Okay, Toby, have, have a great weekend. Thank you very much for that. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning down in Australia, the SX200. Uh, that's currently off about two-thirds of, uh, of 1%. Over in Japan, the Nikkei 225 now is slipping further. That's down 1.5%. The Cosby in South Korea is off 1.3%. Futures markets on the Hang Seng getting worse. Uh, looks like now the Hang Seng is going to open about 400 points lower at the open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Do please join me again on Monday morning uh, for Money Talk. Have a great weekend in the meantime. COVID updates coming up with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather mainly cloudy, occasional showers and squally thunderstorms. Uh, Sunny intervals in the afternoon. The maximum temperature is going to be about 29 degrees. And the outlook is for occasional squally thunderstorms tomorrow. The showers are going to be heavy at first. There is a thunderstorm warning in force right now. It's 26 degrees, 90% relative humidity. Time's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Police say three people have been injured after a shooting in Central in the early hours of this morning. Officials say they received a report at about 2.40 a.m. about a person who'd emerged from a van on Wyndham Street and attacked three people with a gun and a machete. The force said one of them is unconscious after being shot in the back while another person suffered serious head injuries. The third person, meanwhile, was hurt after being hit by the van. Outgoing Chief Executive Carrie Lam's comment yesterday that she's turned in a report card that she's not ashamed of has drawn mixed reactions from lawmakers. At her last question and answer session at the Legislative Council, Mrs. Lam said her time in office had coincided with Hong Kong's most challenging time since the handover. Unionist lawmaker Alice Mack says she thinks Mrs. Lam did well in labor policies, such as canceling the MPS offsetting, MPF offsetting mechanism and increasing statutory maternity leave. But roundtable lawmaker Michael Tien says he'd leave it to the public to judge Mrs. Lam's report card for themselves. The extradition bill was supposedly initiated by her without any strong request from Beijing. And in fact, what was clearly needed to be done was Article 23, but not the extradition bill. Whatever happened, at the end, 10,000 people were arrested because of protests to this bill. And of course, also because of the fifth wave, 9,000 people 
have lost their lives. These are the facts. Hong Kong has report, recorded 674 new COVID infections, 332 from PCR tests and 342 from rapid at-home tests that were later confirmed by laboratories. That's a 20% jump from the 558 cases reported on Wednesday. Among the latest infections, 73 were imported, including 38 detected at the airport and 28 picked up at quarantine hotels. Health officials also reported 90 cases from 81 schools. Ukrainian officials have renewed calls for allies to provide heavy weapons to combat Russia's offensive and help reduce the high numbers of casualties among Ukrainian soldiers. The country's defense minister, Alexei Reznikov, said up to 100 Ukrainian soldiers a day are being killed. But a presidential advisor, Mikhail Podolyak, put the number of deaths even higher. 